This is the Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast. Hey now. Hey man, what's going on? This is Scott. And this is Rico. Welcome to our pod. Um, first of all, let's get this out of the way. Yep. If you're out there listening, and if you like what we're doing, or if you don't like what we're doing, take a second and leave us a review. Um couple lines hey these guys suck they're the worst podcasters ever i wish they would just quit please or, stop something or hey really enjoy the podcast love rush love when you guys talk about music keep it up <laughs> questions you know ideas man if you guys have something that you want us to talk about let us know yep we're looking Do for it. a little engagement, but the reviews will help they will uh, feed the algorithm that's always hungry for data and it'll help us put out stuff that you guys are really going to want to listen to, hopefully. So that's cool, too. What are we talking about today? So you ever heard the, the, the phrase toys in the attic? Of course. I've got a lot of toys in my attic. A lot. And they all got cobwebs all over them. But occasionally... You mean like Optimus Prime, Strawberry Shortcake, covered yeah, in cobwebs? Exactly. What's like maybe an old ratty Nerf football that got wet too many times, and now <laughs> yeah. it's not soft anymore. It's hard. And maybe, That's so true. And maybe I've got like some Rock'em Sock'em robots where the head doesn't stick down anymore, and it's just wiggling <laughs> around, and, it, and you can't play it anymore. What was that one Godzilla toy from the 80s that had the fist that popped off, which mm -hmm. I don't think ever actually happened in any Godzilla movie, but no. you pressed a button and his fist flew off, yeah. so there was just a million Godzilla toys with no fist. That, I have that <laughs> Kids in Kids pressed, they pressed right. the button once, and the fist flew off, and they never got it back. <laughs> right. So I've got a lot of broken, cobwebby toys in my attic. Hell yeah. Um, but occasionally, the sun shines on a dog's ass, right? You've heard that term. Yeah. Well, Look, Looking at my dog right now, no sunshine. So Scott has the coolest dog on planet Earth, by the way. I have to put that out there. But yeah, so I was in my office. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a job where I have my own office, which is kind of cool. But um, and And sometimes I have some time to throw on some music when I have some occasionally I have some space in between my giant list of stuff that I have to do so I threw on moving pictures now I have to say I'm a big Rush fan I'm a, I am a Rush fan but I and this may or may not surprise you I don't know but I go try to go out of my way to stay away from moving pictures I try to not listen to that and, and here's Is that why. you feeling like it's overplayed? A exactly, little bit because that's the one that everybody loves. It was the most commercially popular, and I don't want to be that Rush fan that only listens to the most popular album. Tom Sawyer and Limelight are on staples on classic rock radio for exactly. 40 years now. So I go out of my way not to listen to that one. Yeah, me too. So having said that, the other day, uh, it, it had been a really long time since... I had listened to it. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to throw it on just because it's been a while. Right. So I got, I'm got the track list up and sometimes I start at the beginning and, you know, I've listened to the album a thousand times. Um, and so sometimes I start at the beginning and, you know, Tom Sawyer, Red Barchetta, I tend to skip those because 
I like to listen to the more ancillary version songs that they've done. Yeah. So it's genuinely, I go to side B of moving pictures, and I usually start at the end and work my way up. So, so you, lo- you mean like in reverse order? Yeah. So you're like playing Vital Signs first. Yeah. So I'm looking at the list, and 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 I see Vital Signs at the end, and I'm like, man, I haven't listened to Vital Signs in a really long time, like a really, really long time. I'm going to refresh myself on that one. So I, I dial up Vital Signs, and all of a sudden, as I'm listening to this song, it, it like the clouds parted and some angels started singing and like this cornucopia of knowledge just kind of dumped into the top of my skull in the soft spot right in that soft spot which I, I'm, I'm that's where rush knowledge goes well I'm, like when a baby's born they got that little soft spot yeah that's well where you i put have the menta- i have the focus and the mentality of, a, of an infant so my soft spot is still there so it went through my soft spot i'm like holy shit this song doesn't fit with the rest of them. Have you ever noticed that? I had never given that a thought. No, it doesn't fit. It's really synthy. It sounds like the police. It sounds like it belongs on signals. And then I'm like, wait a minute. So I'm listening. I'm listening to Vital Signs, and I have it on Spotify. And the cool feature on Spotify is you can swipe up, and it's the lyrics are right there, and they yep. highlight them as yep. the song, which is it's a fantastic feature. I love that feature. So I'm like, wait a minute. So something is not doesn't compute here because those guys are super precise. Everything happens for a reason. They're very tight. They don't need corrected. Like I watched a video of them trying to correct something off of this album. You know that one guy that um, that goes on and puts older music in a computer and he corrects it, corrects the timing on it. And yeah, he, on uh, on YouTube. Yeah, the, yeah. the, 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 the producer the guy from music Tennessee. doctor or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. He pretends yeah. he's wearing like scrubs or something. Yeah, he put moving pictures on there and he's like. I can't correct any of this shit because it's so tight, right? Yeah, yeah. So then I'm thinking about that, and I notice how out of place Vital Signs is with the rest of these songs. And I'm like, okay, this something is not computing here. There's no fucking way that this is on, on accident. Those guys don't do shit like that on accident. Their, their albums are carefully calculated. So I started reading the lyrics about shape shifting and t- it's it's time to make make a change right right i don't have the lyrics in front of me but it, anybody who's a rush fan knows the lyrics the point is it fucking hit me this song and the lyrics to the song you're you're dying it up right now um yeah i see the lyrics right now a tired mind becomes a shape shifter everybody need a mood lifter everybody need reverse polarity Everybody got mixed feelings about the function and the form. Everybody got to deviate from the norm. What they're saying, Scott, this is a very calculated secret message that they're announcing to the world that they're changing their musical direction. They're announcing it to everybody in this song. But before we go further, it's all laid out in the rest of the album. It's not just this one song. I'm going to say it right now. You ready for this? I'm ready. Moving Pictures is a concept album. How so? So my second epiphany, I was just, at first, when I had the first epiphany, 
it was really focused on this one on vital signs. And then actually this morning, I got up earlier than I normally get up and I had some time to waste before I had to go to work. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to, you know, go hop on a treadmill and just go for a walk on a treadmill and then I'll get ready for work, which I don't really do that much. But so on a treadmill at 6.45 in the morning and the sun is starting to barely rise and I start the treadmill and I put I put moving pictures on because I know we were going to talk about it tonight. And I wanted to listen to the rest of the album from the beginning. So I was going to go top down this time. In sequence. In sequence mm. to just give some, to situate myself for vital signs, right? And as soon as Tom Sawyer hit and as soon as the first line hit, I had the second epiphany. And I'm like, hold the freaking phone here. This entire album lays out as a concept album as to why they're changing musical direction. So what I'd like to do is lay it all out for you. Do it. So like any good storyteller, when you first start telling a story, even if it's a written story or if you watch a movie, common practices, they hit you super hard, kind of give you a thesis statement, kind of give you the lay of the land, and then they dial it back, right? Same thing happens here. We all know how good of a writer writer Neil was. Wrote books, okay? Very well-read person, very private person. He is kind of like a get-off-my-lawn type of a guy. He's always been that way. But unlike guys like Ginger Baker, who were bittermen also, where they chose to express themselves externally with their get off my lawnedness, Neil took the opposite approach. He chose to be polite outwardly because I've never heard of him being anything but polite. And he chose to internalize his get off my lawnedness and chose to put it in his lyrics instead. Kind of like when he was pissed at the record label and decided to write 2112. Perfect example, right? So what we have here, Tom Sawyer, this is a dark as fuck album, okay? I'm just going to say that. Right <clears throat> yeah, I agree with that. Tom Sawyer is a negative song. It's he's, They're laying the land. Today's Tom Sawyer, he gets high on you, and the space he invades, he gets by on you. He's like basically telling everybody we feel like we're being used as a commodity here and not this is saying this is how we're feeling we're we're i'm going to announce this to you that we're feeling a little used right now we're feeling a little burnt and i'm going to tell you why so he's hitting you hard in the beginning with tom sawyer and i feel like see i was kind of thinking about this is tom sawyer directed at maybe the label maybe is is Tom Sawyer a composite of the music industry and how they're feeling a little used right now? Could be. Are they directed at the fans? We'll get to that later. Could be, right? Or is it a composite of all of it? I think probably a composite of just a general feeling of where they are right now. What year did Rush get started thereabouts? 73. So this is 81, 81 at this point? Eight years so, later. Yeah, so you're in the business now eight years. And you've, you're, you've, it's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven or eight albums later. Yeah, and you've had Something to like, like claw your kind of way to, exactly. not necessarily the top, but to 
you know, being a sustainable, relevant factor in the music industry. Right? And your last one, two, before Moving Pictures, your last one, two, two or three albums have been your prog phase. Super complex. Complex, hard to play. Yep, long songs. Long ass tours. Indulgent. Those guys, those guys toured like mothers, yep. always, always. Super kind of like science fantasy lyricism going on, right? I mean, it, it's it's well documented just how much they were burnt after recording La Via, for example. Yep. They had to record it in parts because they couldn't do it all at one time, and then they spent the next 35 years playing it all at one time. Yep. So imagine coming off of that prog phase, like Metallica had their one kind of proggy out. They were burnt after Injustice. Yeah. Now imagine putting two or three of those albums together yep. and having the industry clamping down on you about what you're playing and the fans are constantly grabbing at your coattails and wanting a piece of you, right? So then here we go with moving pictures. So Tom Sawyer just kind of defines the mood, just kind of sets the stage, situates things. Here's where we are right now. And then they dial it back and start telling the story. Red Barchetta compares, kind of pairs nicely with uh, Tom Sawyer because it's, in my opinion, what he's saying here is there was a time when we weren't like this. Thinking back to the good old days when life was good, when we weren't bitter. And, and so we weren't always like this. So just so you guys know that. He's there got- was a time... When things were better. Do you think that um, Analog Kid, lyrically, kind of some of the same territory? You know, sure. The idea of like a simpler kind of Absolutely. time. And you think about that song, about the idea of, you know, a simple way to spend the day laying on your back in the grass and staring up at the sky. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a longing for Absolutely. simplicity. I mean, everybody always thinks of Barchetta in terms of, you know, he saw this car on a cover magazine and then decided to write a song about that. But I'm not necessarily, and that might be part of it. But yeah, Analog Kid, great example. I feel like he's p- putting that together with Tom Sawyer to tell everybody this is how we are now, but it wasn't always like that. Like I could have taken an interest in something simpler or I love other things. Exactly. And, and, and I have a fondness for those things and I, I miss when life was. When I had access to those. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Before so, life got like touring and being on the road constantly, took away and, all of that. You know, I have to be out of the hotel room by eight a.m. and be on sound check at seven and hit the stage by eight, and then exactly. meet fans and back to the hotel room and then on the plane. Manager knocking on the door in the morning. Get ready, get packed. We gotta be on the plane in an hour. I was like nonstop hustle and bustle, in and, and all out. the things that made me happy were taken away from me because of the grind that we're not feeling. Yeah. So then, and now, the music is like a grind because they're playing long ass long, hard songs. Complicated. So not only songs. is just the logistics of your line of work a grind, but the actual songs you're performing are a grind. I mean, you're, you're, you're playing La Via like two hundred times a year. Yeah, I that would that one song would if I had to play that song two hundred times a year. That would whip me, dude. Yeah. I can't imagine. And then you're throwing like two more hours because they did long ass shows. They were like two hour shows. And not so not only think about this between 75 and 80, they're playing La Via. 
they're playing twenty-one twelve in its entirety. Yeah. That alone, I mean, that, that's like forty minutes of music in two songs. Yeah. Now you're now throw another eighty minutes of music on top of that. Yeah. So then next song, YYZ. Everybody knows this song, and Getty has mentioned it. This song is a tribute to how they feel when they when they hit the airport in Toronto. They love the feeling of flying back in, being home. The song is about, I miss home. I miss being at home. I miss the, what it feels like to be at home because I'm not there anymore. Which, And I think, I thought about this today, actually, why it's an instrumental. Because I think maybe down in the bowels of their psyche, trying to describe that feeling in words probably wouldn't ever do it justice. Right. So they decided to make it an instrumental to convey it as more of a, here's the feel, here's how maybe an audio description of how we feel because words will never do it. Justice. Right. And Just or, to show how much we miss it. Or if you tried to use words, they could come off as overly sentimental and kind of syrupy and, and, maybe, and campy and yeah. all that. Exactly. And rather than risk, um, Rather than risk dampening the feeling, they decided to just not use words, mm-hmm. which I think was brilliant, actually. So, which goes along nicely with Barchetta. See, everything is everything's going very nicely here to tell this story, right? Here's where it takes a town, a, 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 the turn downwards. Next song is Limelight. Well documented that this song is about Neil and how he feels about being famous. Never really liked it. It's uncomfortable. And I feel like now it's gotten worse because of the grind, because of everybody tugging on them, all the fans wanting them, the record company is trying to control them, to control what they're what they're recording. You know, the media, is, they've got everybody pulling at them now, which makes them hate it even more. You know, I can't pretend that a stranger is a long-awaited friend. Right. And he just, he's never been afraid to mince words in his lyrics, ever. And what's what's funny of why Camera Eye goes perfectly with this song, because the line before that, that's probably the most famous, one of the most famous lines in the song. I can't pretend that a stranger is a long-awaited friend. But the line before that is living in a fish island mm-hmm. caught in a camera eye. Yeah. Camera Eye. Very nice Isn't track. that funny that yeah. the next song is called Camera Eye? So what he's saying in Limelight is caught in a camera eye, been under a microscope. Yeah. The camera eye is on us. They're analyzing every move that we make, and I don't like that feeling anymore. Yeah. So, And as a metaphor, and quite literally, if you think back to 1981 – Everything is their entire world is probably they probably always have cameras in their faces, whether exactly. or not it's for a shoot for a magazine or a newspaper or literally when they're on stage, there's photographers in the audience shooting them, videographers or now we're entering into the video era where there were videos for this record. Now they've got to be recorded. Mm-hmm. So they're like, so it works metaphorically. And oh, by the way, they literally are always behind a camera. At this exactly. Point, you know? And and. So, so I, it, he, he so what he decides to do with camera eye after he talks about how uncomfortable being in the microscope feels like, and how 
everybody wants me to be their buddy, but I don't even know you and I can't pretend to be your friend because I don't even know who you are and I'm I'm not going to do that. I don't I owe it to myself to be more genuine than that. So what he decides to do in camera eye is he turns the camera back on the people who have the camera on him. So that's what camera eye is. He's saying, look, motherfuckers, you're going to put the camera on me. I'm going to turn the camera right back on you. And here's what I see. Mm-hmm. And so he just, so he's like, all right, I see a bunch of really focused people. I see, and all the stuff that he lays out in camera, all the lyrics and, and, and it's not pretty. I mean, he's, he's very, he's pretty critical in camera about this is okay. I'm going to turn the camera back on you. And this is what I see. And, I think it's brilliant. I never even thought about it in that way mm-hmm. until today, actually, because you're fooled by the song because the song is in a major key. It's not in a minor key. Mm-hmm. And the way Getty sings it, he sings it really upbeat. He's got a happyish kind yeah, of voice. It's bright. Yeah. It's very bright. It's a good description. Yeah. It's a very bright sounding song, but the lyrics are really negative. Yeah. Extremely negative. Um, now here's where it gets interesting. Now you've got witch hunt. Faces are twisted and grotesque. Um, in the flickering light, faces are twisted and grotesque. Mm-hmm. Is how the line goes. See, I feel like this. It's gotten. It's it's coming to a head now, and I think that he's ev- they're they're even starting to see the fans in a negative way yeah. they're and seeing the fans as a mob it's really now. poetic and when you yeah. think about it, especially now we don't think of concerts like that because everybody's got cell phones out yeah. back then if you can remember being at a concert there was always flickering lights concert lighters lighters from cigarettes from weed and from just holding them up for ballads it was constantly flickering lighters in the crowd so you if know? you describe this mob mobs have torches Torches are sick, are concert lighters, yeah. right? Yeah, it's really really cool metaphors going on there. Yeah. Faces are twisted and grotesque. If you're on stage, oftentimes you hear performers say that they can't really see the audience. Yeah. What they see of them is only you know in bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. You know? But then there's a there's another part of the song where it talks about um, essentially them being controlled that. The people who are controlling them, the mob is telling the band that they know what's best for them. So I think part of it is directed towards the fans in that we are in such a bad place right now that we're we're seeing the fans as a mob. Oh, and by the way, the industry and the label maybe because they've had problems with the label before, and maybe the label is we're putting them in there too because they're trying to control us and tell us that they know what's best for us better than we do. Yeah, and if if there's also from the fan angle, I mean, it's not like there's not precedent on the album elsewhere lyrically that Neil is, you know, it's not like he's speaking favorably of the fans or those around him in as you point out the camera eye it's not always pretty can't pretend that a stranger is a long-awaited friend i mean at the end of the day these twisted and grotesque faces and the flickering light are all strangers to him that's right and he's being very open about that and when he looks out there he's critical of what he sees in the world and what's around him and who these people are and just because they bought a ticket doesn't necessarily mean that he owes you uh friendship or even you know um Maybe he's going to be respectful and polite, but he may not necessarily like you. Right. <laughs> you know? And, and, and so 
Agree totally. So so then that now brings us back to vital signs. You read some of the lyrics a little bit earlier, and so now what we have is we need to make this change because Neil has been a little more serious and get off my lawnish of the three, but Alex and Getty have always been really super lighthearted, always joking around about stuff always laughing and I feel like even those guys because they do things as a group and and Getty said that when Neil wrote his lyrics he he would always run them by me to see how I felt about it right. so they had they had input in the lyrics even though he wrote them they had input so I feel like when they were when he was talking about needing a change I feel like they he really was speaking for the three of them because it I feel like it was getting so bad that they don't they don't want to have negative feelings towards the fans because I just don't think that they were like that. I mean, I've seen enough interviews. They seem lighthearted enough. And even as get off my lawny and bitterman as Neil is, I think he always appreciated the fans from a certain perspective. He just didn't want to be friends with them. Right. And he didn't want to. They didn't. I. I they didn't want to. They didn't want to have negative feelings towards the people who were writing their paychecks. You well, know what I mean? It's like, so to speak. It's not the only time that this concept has been kind of, has existed in the history of rock music. I mean, instantly when you're describing this, I'm thinking of Roger Waters, who mm-hmm. famously, you know, spit on a fan during the Animals tour. And out of that came the wall, this idea of literally building a wall between the band and the audience because his relationship had become so, you know, there was so much, it was so contentious, you know, the relationship between he and the people who were buying the tickets. And I think for Neil, it was like, you know, yes, you want to respect your fans because they're literally, you know, to some degree paying your salary and buying your tickets, but also like, where is that line drawn? Do you have to stay after three hours for meet and greets after a show? Do you have to sign every autograph? If you're out to eat with your wife and someone sees you in a restaurant, do you have to give them the time of day? I mean, there has to be like parameters around that. Right. Right. And I think like Roger Waters, you start to feel boxed in by that because fans don't respect those boundaries. Oftentimes of like, Hey, this is their time. And maybe my relationship with this artist should end at the count at you know um when i'm buying the record right and Mm -hmm. and i'm at walmart plunking my money down for the record maybe that's all the further this relationship is intended to go and you know there's other instances kurt cobain famously um didn't like the fans that appeared once the band became popular and he looked out in the audience and saw the same people who used to beat him up in high school and he was like well what happened here right so you know, this is this has happened many times um, and been you know talked about by artists who suddenly look out there and say, "This isn't really what I had in mind." Walk by Pantera know? is about that. Yep, yep. So, so it's pretty cool. But one thing I want to touch on though is um, you. I love the fact that you said it sounds like the Police and. It is a reggae, which, you know, they Mm -hmm. did in Spirit of the Radio. You know, they had that moment in that song, right? And so they've touched on that element before, but that's jarring within the context of moving pictures, right? Very And to close an album with reggae, right? Very very electronic-sounding drums. 
Yes. The, the super tight. The guitar no is, reverb. The guitar is way dialed back into the background. Yep. Almost like the distortion and the gain is turned way down, so there's barely any of that. It's almost clean sounding. Yep. It is a police song. Yeah. At the beginning, when the first like two minutes of the song is a police song. And if you think about by eighty one the police had already had, I think the police had maybe five records. I think they had had three of their five records out by 81. They were, mm. they, they were doing Ghosts in the Machine and then Synchronicity, and they were done. So at that by that time, Rush was certainly aware of the police. They were, the, they the were police, police fans. Yeah, and the police had enough sure. of a catalog in yeah. place. But if you listen to Vital Signs, it would slot right into the first two police records. like For sure really really well it's a reggae that then goes into the down picked mm-hmm. you know rocking part it isn't until the end of the track like at about the three minute mark when it breaks into the little synth break where getty does his his really cool bass fills and then yeah. it has the outro part where when i hear it maybe you can tell me how you feel about this and this might deviate a little bit from your thesis but when i hear that song the first part of it talks about like it's a mission statement of like life of like, hey, you know, it's important to change. It's important to evolve. And and I'm going to tell you why these things are important to, you know, it's an important part of life, right? The need for change, the need to elevate, to get better, to pursue new things. And they, and they kind of just state it in the yeah. first part. Right. But then after that synth break, it the song exits the reggae punk rock part, it goes into that synth break with the bass feel it fills, and the song gets very dramatic and kind of melancholy at that point. Mm-hmm. And now Getty's repeating the same line again and again. You know, everybody got to deviate, everybody got to elevate. He's like repeating these same lines. And it takes a different tone because the music shifts. So instead of him saying, Hey, here's what we're doing, it's almost as if he's begging you to do that change evolve you know it's like it becomes like not a don't get don't be locked in right but it like but who he's in the first part of the song it feels like he's saying it about himself about now they're and then in a appealing la- to everybody that they're complaining about yes to to please grow change yeah. evolve the industry the label the yeah, fans please it, if because we are Yep. So we're encouraging you to do the same thing. But it's like in that outro, it's just interesting because to me, the whole tone of the song flips at that outro. Great it becomes, observation. It becomes melancholy, it becomes sad, and it becomes yep. a pleading cry for change and, and evolution and elevation of oneself. As if he's at, it's like the first half he's saying, hey, here's, we're changing. And then the last half, he's like begging in the world around him to change. Yeah. And it's there in the vocal melody. It's it like it's no, got it really like is. this heart tugging kind of thing. And because the song's so kind of upbeat and reggae and has those punk flourishes, just like the police, um, it ha- it's, it's just when, after that break, when it becomes sad, it just it takes on just a different character, even though the lyrics don't change at all. No. But the character of how it's presented does, and it seems more directed at me or I'm listening to it thinking, man, this guy is just begging me to like turn the page. Exactly. Well, <laughs> you and know? you know what? And, and it's great observation, and, and I completely agree with you on that. Um, they felt so strongly about this. I, I heard uh, Peart talking about this. They felt so strongly about this song and, in my opinion, what it represented that he said – 
essentially they had to force feed this down fans' throats for three years during like at least one or two different tours. They played this and force fed it down everybody's throat until they accepted it. A lot of people don't like it as part of the record. It's yeah. funny because if I watch a lot of the YouTube um, channels that talk about music and I hear again and again, there's a lot of people like, oh, I don't like vital signs, but it's like the one track on moving pictures that you know they don't like or skip or they say, oh, you know, I didn't listen to it for decades, but now I like it okay. It's like it's, you know, almost discarded, like mm -hmm. from the rest of the record. But if you go on and listen to Signals, I mean, all those pieces show up again, to your point. They're all of, there. Yeah. And it's just interesting because even those themes of change again, New World Man, you know, again, I mentioned Analog Kid, but yeah. a lot of those themes of kind of modernization versus the way things were and change i think part of that was just inherent in the times of shifting from the 70s to the 80s you know for sure um mtv and the way the world was changing and they just internalized the world around them and changed kind of with it but and this isn't the first time that they've changed musical direction mm -hmm. you know after caress of steel and they went into 2112 and then uh um farewell to kings after that they went from being a, a very Sabbath-sounding hard rock band to a very proggy band. Yeah. So they made that they did this once already. So people shouldn't be surprised that they're making a musical change of direction. But I feel like the difference between between moving pictures and signals versus maybe Caress of Steel in twenty one twelve or twenty one twelve and Farewell to Kings around there when they changed is when they made that change, they, they did it because they wanted to see how far they could go, right? Yeah. They did it because they wanted to. I feel like in this case, they did it because they wanted to, but I feel like they did it because they felt they had to. Yeah, and even with the lyrics getting into the 80s, it's like in the 70s, you know, there were fantasy elements and science, you know, scientific fantasy kind of science fiction, a lot of uh, Ayn Rand kind of influenced stuff in, in the 70s. And then by the time you get to the 80s, they're singing about like there's a lot of Cold War stuff, you know what I mean? And it it becomes more about the world around them and like real yep. kind of grounded things mm -hmm. and not so much fantasy and things based on, you know, uh, literature and things like that. It becomes much more grounded in the politics and kind of the, you know, the times that they were in, you know, yep. subdivisions even, you know, it's like it becomes more personal, you right. know, and a commentary on the world around them, you know, so. So yeah, that's it, man. Like I, after today, I'm never going to listen to that album the same because it's an absolute masterpiece as overplayed as half of it is like have been beaten into our skulls for 40 some odd years. You know, it, yeah. it, it is a absolute stunner of a masterpiece of a record. I, I appreciate this album. I, listen, man, I, I feel pretty strongly about this. I think, the, I think it's all there and I appre appreciate this album even more than I ever did because of all of, because of what we've just talked about. I really feel that it's a concept album about themselves, about them and where they are mentally and how they got there and how they're starting to view things and that they don't feel good about it and they need to make a change. And that's exactly what they did. And, and I like it a lot more now because of that. You know what I think I need to change? Hmm. My footwear. It's funny you say that because I'm still wearing my Zero Prios. I wear these freaking things every fucking day, man. I am not kidding you. Scott, they're on my feet right now. You see these? See that? Listen. 
Yeah. This is these are my zero Prios. And your feet don't smell. No, they don't. I don't have smelly feet. Yeah, you don't. No. In spite I, of all the exercise you do, your feet I don't do. stink. No, I, I have never you know, some people just naturally have stinky feet. Yeah. And some people don't I'm fortunately, like the toys in the attic are there, but the stink on the feet isn't. Does your choice in footwear have anything to do with that? Uh no. But these shoes are fucking amazing, and I'm begging everybody to not take my word for it and to go to the website, check it out for yourselves, buy yourselves a pair of these shoes. They have other kinds beside the Prio, depending on you know what your what your deal is. They got some cool sandals too, but you will not regret it. These are the most. I'm not joking. These are the most comfortable pair of shoes I've ever owned, and I will be buying another pair as soon as possible. Zero with an X. X-E-R-O, zeroshoes.com, forward slash go, forward slash R-N-R-A affiliate. Please do it. Do it for yourselves. Don't do it for me. Um, having said that, Rush Moving Pictures is a fucking concept album, and we just told you why. So please go back and listen to it and see for yourself. Yep. Go listen to Rush. Go listen to Moving Pictures. Leave us a review on please do. Apple. Um, later. See ya. Let me have that special rock and roll music. Yeah! Let me tell you, so the lyrics to real rock music is nothing more than satanic cyanide. Get it out of your house, throw it out, and burn it. It has no place in the house of the righteous. You guys, it was like a mistake. There's no mistake anymore. Follow us on Twitter at RNR Autopsy, or you can send an email to rock and roll autopsy at gmail.com. And if we run across anything good, we'll mention it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Later. <laughs>